what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan. Um, is is this encrypted? Oh, well, yes, I, I think it should be. Did you enter your security code and, and set up your encryption before we started recording? I mean, I think I did, but I don't know if it was the double encryption code that you sent me on an email that had to be downloaded and then resent back through the encryption process. I, I did exactly what you just described on my end as well. So we should be secure with the recording today. But this is going to go on the Internet. Well, yes, yes. But it, I think everybody on the listening audience is going to have to have the proper encryption key to decode it as well. So we should be okay. Okay, then I'm Chris. Okay, good. Chris Fry. And that's important to note because we are going to be discussing as our first film the documentary Citizen Four dealing with the Edward Snowden uh, release of security information. So it's good to know we're both on a high-level security here in our recording. Hopefully those of you at home are so as well. (laughs) Now, beyond that film review, we're also going to have a couple more discussions. We're going to be discussing the film It Follows, or at least Chris is, as he regales me in his (laughs) venture to watch a a more modern horror film in the movie theater. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about a Netflix documentary that you can watch now called Game Over, the Story of Atari, as we talk about the old 1970s and 80s video game empire. I've got a lot to say today in all my reviews that we'll be discussing. So we're looking forward Excellent. to a good show. Have a couple quick news items in there as well, and then we'll cap it off with our recommendations of the uh, episode as well. So, Chris, are we ready to begin? Yes. Okay. This is Put Candler 5 signing off. <laughs> Let's move on to our first review, which is Citizen 4. I say it is insecure. My one word That's your one-word review insecure. is insecure, and mine is jarring. Okay. So let's get started. Laura. I am a senior government employee in the intelligence community. I hope you understand that contacting you is extremely high risk. In the end, if you publish the source material, I will likely be immediately implicated. I ask only that you ensure this information makes it home to the American public. Thank you, and be careful. Citizen 4. So I don't know anything about you. Okay. Um, I work for... Uh, so I don't know who you name. Oh, sorry. I, uh, my name is Edward Snowden. So you heard Chris and mine's one-word review of the film Citizen 4. Mine is jarring. Chris's is insecure, insecure, which I like the little play on words with that. So why you may ask, those were our one-word reviews for this film. Well, the documentary is about Edward Snowden. And basically what happens in this documentary is we have a documentarian who's contacted by Citizen Four. It's the code name used online. She and a reporter travel to Hong Kong to have a series of meetings with a mysterious Mr. Snowden. Now, the way I just described this may sound like a dramatic reenactment of this historic thing. It did. That's not what this is. This is a documentary. So we're actually watching footage being gathered as this is happening. So we've got a very interesting documentary being made by director Laura Portress and starring Edward Snowden, having a, a reporter, Glenn Greenwald, uh, William Benny, who's a former security expert that's uh, featured in the film quite a bit. Uh, and then a few other political figures that you probably will recognize as well. Chris, with this unique take on a documentary, with the fact that we're watching history being made as it's recorded, not people talking heads, talking about what happened in the past. No, this is all, every single bit, real time happening at that moment. Right. And you using the word insecure, me using the word jarring. Let's feed off of that. How, how did you respond to this film in general? And did it take this approach of putting you in the room as history is being made? Did it work for you? Or did it somewhat backfire in its intent and maybe cause more complications or confusion or more insecurity than it really needed to? This, this documentary succeeded in being one of the few that I can call out as being very original. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
it was it wasn't a documentary that I'm the style that I'm you know typically used to where a story has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. People are interviewed in front of nice backdrops. They show some original footage, and that's kind of how a lot of documentaries play out because usually they're you know showing something that's happened 20 years ago or something like that. But as you alluded to, yeah, this documentary is unique in that these people shot this thing not really knowing what was going on. Yeah. I mean, they, they got an encrypted message, you know, which was kind of where the whole encryption joke came from that basically is like this guy says in a very encrypted email, I've got some information that's going to blow your mind. I know the filmmaker, that you, the director, had already made some documentaries. So he's like, I know that you are interested in this type thing. I think you'd be perfect. Come talk to me. I'll mm-hmm. make it worth your while. But, he, but because of how shady and kind of dodgy she's like okay something something bigs up yeah (laughs) and yeah she goes there and it kind of took me a minute because i was the same as you i was like oh they're already interviewing edward snowden like after he's already spilled everything but what i came to realize is like no they're talking to him and nothing's Mm -hmm. actually been released yet nobody knows who he is they didn't know his name anything yeah and that that kind of blew my mind I will say, I agree with you. The moment where, you know, and this is not a spoiler for the film. I mean, it's just helping you understand what, what kind of film we're talking about. The moment very early on in the first 15, 20 minutes where it's basically, all right, can you tell us your name and, you know, tell us a little bit about your background? That really was them getting to know this gentleman, Edward Snowden, for the very first moment. And that's crazy. Yes. I love the fact that this film was able to capture a full form documentary as it was happening with no pre-planning, no thoughts about what, what we're trying to make out of this. It's more, we know we need to document this because this could be important. It's an incredible example of right place, right time, right people that had the know-how and the skills to be able to pull this documentary off. And, you know, the Oscars were very recently, and this won the Best Documentary Oscar. Right. And after seeing it, I can completely understand why, because it stands as something that will be watched, you know, years from now. And it's like, wow, if you wanted an example of what was going on and how this happened, watch this documentary because they were literally finding it out as it went. It did make me think a little bit about uh, the act of killing. Okay. In the sense that I'm I'm starting to get in my head this idea of there being two types of documentaries. Hmm. There's your active documentaries and there's your passive ones. Active, it's happening you're capturing it as it's going on. Sure. You're there. You don't really know where the story is going to go. You're just recording to see what happens. And in the end, you can put it together to make something out of it. The passive ones are, let's talk about what happened. And that's, let's that's get the, the interviews. That's let's the you know, that I'm used to. We're all used to it. The well, there's definitely more passive documentaries out there than Absolutely. there are active ones. Sure. It's a lot easier to get a bunch of people together and interview them and talk about something that happened in the past right. than to actually capture something historic happening at the moment. Right. So I'm a big fan of these active documentaries, I'm going to call them, just because I love the fact that you don't know where it's going to go. They don't know where it's going to go at the moment. Now, there's a little bit of a fallacy with an active documentary as well in that it may not always have an ending. <laughs> it may not have always have a structure. And this film doesn't have an ending in my head. I'm not saying it needs one, but it is one of those things where it does get to a point and you're still left wanting to know where things are going and what's going to happen. But unfortunately, the documentary can't tell you that because it hadn't happened yet. I mean, it's, it's, it's capturing this event but it's not able to put it into a structure where you've got a beginning, middle, end. And the event, the event basically was they fly to Hong Kong, and in eight days, yep. they spend that time with Snowden basically trapped in a hotel room. That's the footage you get is a hotel room. Yeah. But they talk to him and ask him questions, and you see them trying to figure out how they're going to tell the story and how they are going to – and he t- Snowden actually tells them, hey, I'm going to tell you stuff – and however you guys think it is best to release this bombshell on the world, I trust you because you're journalists. Yep. And he says that that's why I did it this way, because I wanted you to be a filter so that you would decide what is okay, what is not okay. He so didn't want to just go up on a public website and just dump all and this stuff and not know how it was going to be responded, reacted to, treated, or anything else. Correct. I thought that was interesting. I, I uh, you know, of course, the documentary plays with a lot of questions of national security and Absolutely. the role that the government plays, uh, the depth that the government's involved. There's a lot of damning evidence and information about the government's role in security. I will put it there out there, even though I admired the film, and I generally 
I enjoyed is not the word, but I, I generally really appreciated the film for what it was doing and the message it was getting. Sure. I do have a couple quirks with it in that I do feel like it was extremely one-sided. Documentaries in general are normally through the lens of the filmmaker. I get that. I'm all very respectful of that. But when you've got such a hotbed sensitive topic, there were a few other sides of the coin that I would have liked to have had a few minutes dedicated to. So for some responses, sure, because it's really easy to come out of a documentary like this mad right. and upset and frightened and worried. But there's also a lot of other sides of the story that are not touched on at all. I'm not saying those other sides will outweigh the story and make you feel completely different. But I think it is I think there needs to be some even handedness to the other sides of the coin when you're dealing with such a sensitive topic like this. Sure. And I agree. I think, you know, if I were to nail down a shortcoming for me, it would be that as well, because having been a used to the passive documentaries that you mentioned, you do kind of generally they try to balance the scales a little bit more to try to give you a little bit more viewpoints. But an excuse of this active documentary is they had him in a hotel room. They didn't have all these other panelists that they could bring in and talk. They did try at one point because he is in Hong Kong. They do show some news up on the screen of the TV screen in his Mm -hmm. hotel room after they've released some documents and after some stories have been hitting, you know, Mm -hmm. major papers around the world. And they kind of get his reaction a little bit as far as how do you feel, but you don't have any, you don't have any true reactions about what, about commentators reacting to the situation. Exactly. The whole big question of was he a patriot by doing what he did? You know, you've got part of the country saying, yes, he was part of the country saying, no, he's a traitor. And that was never played with. Sure. That never really got very deep. And I would have loved, and again, I'm saying I would have loved the filmmakers to do this, which unfortunately, this is the kind of film where you can't go back and tell the filmmaker, I wish you would have done this. And I wish you would have had that because they honestly were just filming what happened. Right. So they were documenting. This didn't happen. If, or if it did, it was not meaningful enough to put in the film. So, but to have that discussion of, how does he respond to people who say he's a traitor for the way he did this? Which I think that's more of my question mark is the manner in which it was done versus what was done, the intent. Um, it definitely is a film that generates a lot of discussion, and those are always the ones I love the most. Uh, even if you don't like the film or you don't like every moment of it, the fact that it does lead to some great conversation I think is a good thing. Overall, I'm giving it a very positive score for that. I, I- I thought, considering how we've talked about how it was made, two aspects of the film that stood out to me as being very realistic was, one, the paranoia that pervaded the film. You could see Snowden was, you know, rightfully so, very concerned about being found out or concerned about security on his laptop, security about, you know, just worried in general about being, you know, taken mm-hmm. right <laughs> and the journalist i felt like some of that kind of seeped into them kind of being worried about you sure. know how the press is going to react to me how i'm going to be swarmed and then they at some points they were shooting you know recording him in hong kong and at some point they had to stop because then they were like wait we're being followed and if we're being followed they're going to find him and so they had to it was this big cat and mouse game and i thought that was you know it's what you would expect and that they showed that on screen and made you kind of feel paranoid insecure i think they did do a good job of capturing that i mean it wasn't i really appreciate the fact that they didn't use music to heighten any uh um, dramatic moments or swell any kind of uh, emotions the music they used was i mean if you could call it music it was really almost more of a white noise in a lot of times and i think that was intentionally done to dull you a little bit to what was going on or maybe make you more tense to what was going on um it wasn't meant to raise or lower emotions. It was more of a droning sound at times, which I thought was an interesting choice. And I, I I had an idea who may have provided the music. And then in the credits, the end song, once that song kicked in, I think it actually had words. I was like, Oh, there's no doubt who this is. Yeah. And it was uh, Trent Reznor and nine inch nails. And what was funny is I looked later online and that music was actually taken from an album that he released creative commons online, (laughs) which kind of makes sense. It's like, you know, so they could use it for whatever they wanted. They can use for whatever. And to include that in this documentary, it's kind of that, you know, I don't know. Same kind of movement idea. Yeah. idea. So I thought that was I, it. The other thing I was going to say, too, as yeah. far as the sense of authenticity of the film, mm-hmm. the paranoia was one aspect. But then them shooting Edward Snowden, they get to the hotel room and showing him as you first see him. 
And then I felt like as the days clicked on, mm -hmm. you could tell that he was becoming more tired, more stressed. His like, you know, hair was kind of disheveled. There were some circles under his oh, eyes. Yeah. And then at one point towards the end of the film, after some events have occurred, they showed him and he looked horrible. He looked pretty rough. Like the circles under his eyes looked like he'd gotten two black eyes. Like he'd yeah. been climbing. It was like, wow. And you know, that, that, that felt pretty authentic. No, I, I, I don't question one bit of the authenticity of anything we saw in the film. You know, sometimes when people have a camera pointing at them, you're going to have things heightened. You're going to have things exaggerated. Sure. You're going to have a little playing to the camera. I didn't get the sense of that at all here. I mean, I don't, because I don't even think this is the interesting thing to note. Sometimes when you do put a camera in front of people and you, they know you're making a documentary, right. it can cause you to raise, raise your, your energy level, your personality a little bit, whatever yeah, it may you, be. You start acting, for acting the a little bit. Even though it's a documentary, but, but you start acting. Edward Snowden had no intentions of this being a documentary. I think he just knew that they just wanted to record more of a, it could be for posterity. It could be just to have a record. Well, and I, you know, it never seemed to came across as we're making a documentary, so oh, you've got to play a certain no, part. And I think too, if my memory serves correctly, the stuff, some of the shots that we saw of them asking questions, his responses, those were exactly what was up on CNN oh, showing. It was. And Absolutely. so it was like, basically it was the way to give it to the news media yeah. and let them show it on TV. So yeah, it was like, and then they made this documentary, right. but so I thought that was, yeah, that's, that's important to note is I don't think anybody sat around saying, oh, we're going to make this awesome documentary of this. this way. I think it's more of we're documenting this because, A, for security purposes, B, to have it as historical record, C, this is the way we're going to release it all to the media. So let's have a good, nice video documentation of everything. So it was would, interesting. The paranoia, the fire alarm in the hotel. <laughs> yes, there's a good, interesting scene with that that uh, – Definitely shows how that paranoia plays up on things. Overall, Citizen Four, a very interesting documentary. I think going into it, do not expect it to be a very traditional talking heads interview based uh, documentary because it's not. Yeah. It's you're getting dumped in, and at some points, it is jarring. The word I use sometimes you don't quite know what's happening or what they're talking about. There's a lot of text messages on the screen. It's hard sometimes to figure out who's talking to who and what they're implying. It took me the second viewing. I watched the last 20 minutes the second time last night uh, at the end of our second screening. And knowing, getting to piece initials together and some of the messages and all made it a little, a little better. Um, so it's a, it's a tough watch. It's, it's an intentional watch. Don't come into it thinking you're going to understand every term they're talking about and every process. There's a lot of technical talk that's way technical over everybody stuff. else's head. But I think in the end, the message comes across that they're trying to get across and help you share in the story that they're that they're documenting. So, I, I was I was impressed. I really I, was. I was too. And I, as far as being thrown, the opening where you hear Laura Poitras's voice and she's kind of describing the message that mm -hmm. she got from Edward Snowden. And unfortunately, they're just showing images at this point, and they're not showing any text on screen. Mm -hmm. And she was using all this like back and forth thing, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, I, I couldn't really grasp but then i got it was like and then i kind of caught on but for a little bit there i was like well the first happening? 10 minutes of the film i really didn't was not enjoying it I, uh, I i was disjointed i didn't know what was going on it was way too technical way too just it was hard to follow and it wasn't until they got into the hotel room hotel and got room. settled in i'm like okay now i get what's going on it just took me a little while to kind of get settled in so and i, I I don't know if that was an intentional yeah uh, so could to be. try to make you feel as on ease and mm -hmm. on the run as they were but uh, like you say, it was effective. So yeah. So that's Citizen Four. It is. Uh, I think it's coming out on DVD or or online probably sometime in May, if I remember correctly, or maybe late April. Okay. So probably maybe by the time you're listening to this, it may be available to rent or watch online because it didn't get the broadest uh, wide release. I don't think, uh, especially for a, a niche documentary like this. But it did win best documentary at the Oscars. So Chris and I both say it's definitely worth watching. Just. Insecure and jarring. That's our two one-word reviews. <laughs> Let's move on to – got two kind of shorter reviews, really more one-sided reviews because Chris has seen one film that I have not seen. I've seen a film he has not seen. So we're going to kind of talk about those independently. So first, let me set this up for you, Chris. Chris is here to talk about the latest uh, new generation horror film called It Follows. And it's retro creepy. Retro creepy is your word? Yes. Gotcha. Okay, awesome. Okay. You awake? You're not gonna believe me, and I need you to remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's gonna follow you. 
Somebody gave it to me. And I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Chris, I, I'm, I am a wuss. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go on public record here. Horror films creep me out. Now, I'm not talking about slasher films. Right. The, just the, the after Friday the 13th, the first one, it just got just gory uh, chopping up death. Those don't, I don't care. Sure. I'm talking about truly creepy horror films where it's psychological or it's just creepy in general. Those really get to me. So we had a conversation. I had planned to go see this film the other night and come to find out our local theater thought it would be wiser to only show this film in the middle of the afternoon instead of at night, which I don't quite understand. But unfortunately, I did not get a chance to see this film. You did. Yes. Now, I think you're closer to me than not in that you're not the biggest horror fan. Um, I don't know how creeped out you get by them, but I think in general you don't go seeking out new horror films when they come out. We really just started checking this one out because we heard some interesting things online about it. So with that all being said, it getting a little bit of internet hype and buzz right now with a lot of film critics. How did you feel? Did it did it uh, match your expectations of being a very interesting, unique, or new, fresh horror film, or did it fall into a lot of the same stereotypes we always expect with this? It was it was definitely fresh and unique, and basically, like you stated, I'm I'm not the biggest horror movie fan, mm-hmm. and basically, for me to see a horror movie, it has to be like on that year's greatest hits. Okay, like you have to, you know, I have to hear a lot of buzz about it. A so, lot of people have to tell you it's a really good right, movie. I'm not just going to run out and see it. But right. if I hear like you know Blair Rich Project, heard people talking about it, went and saw it. Um, it was buzzworthy. Right, it was buzzworthy. Okay. Right. Something like The Ring. I'd heard a lot about that. I mm-hmm. saw that and I liked it. Okay, um, I made the mistake of um, Paranormal Activity. Heard a lot of people talk uh, about yeah. it. Halloween night, put it up on Netflix, watched it in a house by myself. Not the smartest move I've ever made. There you go. But I, but I am glad that I, I did it because I could say, okay, now have I watched the 5 million sequels? No. But, but you know, I could see the original movie. Right. This movie um, I thought really worked. And I think you could have gone to go see it late at night. And been okay. <laughs> Even though I did chicken out and go see it during the day. <laughs> Keep thought, in mind, my family's been out of town all week. I would have been coming home at midnight to a dark, empty house. So you still think I would have been okay? I think so. And okay. A lot of that centers around the premise of the movie, All right. which uh, it is a typical, well, not typical, but teen horror movie like you would have seen back in like the 70s or mm-hmm. 80s because it does center around like sexual activity. Okay. And basically what happens is there's some teenagers and they have a sexual encounter in a car and then the girl is chloroformed. <laughs> And you're like, what, what's happening? Why did the guy just chloroform her mm-hmm. after they had sex? And next thing you know, he, she wakes up in a parking garage and she's tied to a wheelchair. And he says, and you think, uh-oh, where, where's this going? This is going right. to get really disturbing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get really disturbing, but basically he tells her, look, I'm sorry, but it's going to come after you now. It has been coming after me. I transferred it to you in the car. I'm sorry, but all I can tell you is you have to keep running. Keep running or give it to someone else. But go, go, you know, like, I'm sorry, but this Hmm. is the only way I could get rid of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's kind of where the movie takes off. So that's all I probably want you to tell me about it plot wise too. Okay. Right. All right. But so there are no known actors in this. I mean, it's all unknowns. I mean, how, how production wise and acting wise and all that. I mean, was it, was it a well-made film? Yeah. uh, Production wise, I, you, I mean, do they have the millions that other horror movies do? Right. No, but um, acting-wise, I think it. I think it was. Uh, I think it was good. Okay. I think the actors for what they're asked to do, I, I think they do good. There's the, there's the main girl whose name is Jay in the film, and her real name is Maika Monroe, mm-hmm. and she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy who plays her childhood best friend, mm-hmm. and his name is Keir Gilchrist, but Paul in the film, and he's probably the strongest actor in the film. Okay. But what this movie is interested in, which is why it's worth going to see, even if you're not a big fan of horror movies, like you and I aren't, Mm -hmm. is because it investigates what it's like to be in relationships with people that you're Mm -hmm. friends with and how that changes. And I don't know, it just, it's a very interesting film. It's not interested in just horror. It's interested Mm -hmm. in interactions between people and the awkwardness that that can make. And yeah, it's, and the way they deal with the, 
the thing that is following. Mm. <laughs> the way that's represented and that whole concept makes for a very, very interesting film. Is it flawless? No. Um, but it's, it's definitely worth seeing. And this is only his second film. Yeah, I was actually just looking that up. David Ro- Robert Mitchell was the right. writer and director. Writer and director. And he made a film, The Myth of the American Sleepover. Which I have heard of, mm-hmm. but never seen. And now it is on my watch list. I, I, wow. I, I want to okay. see that. Yeah, I'm, That's I'm, always a good sign for the Chris, Chris Fry review is, did he put that director's previous <laughs> work on his watch did list after enough? watching this yeah. movie? So, good. Well, I'll say, too, for an independent film and for a low-budget film, a lower budget. I think mm-hmm. it had two million, two million dollars. That's okay. it. Um, just two million. Just two million. No big right. deal. <laughs> he does some stuff with the camera, specifically mm-hmm. some long tracking shots. And I don't think of long tracking shots being used in horror movies because mm-hmm. usually it's all about you know swish pan over to somebody, yeah, quick cuts, dodging splash, out of a closet, yeah. trying right. to jab you with a knife. You know, it's 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 about scary reaction shots. Mm-hmm. And this film. The way it uses its tracking shots, and it has like four or five, and they're usually, when they're done, it's usually like, okay, pay attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they do these tracking shots, and they're just amazing, such the fact where you get to like the third one, you're like, okay, what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to kind of chew on. Awesome. Um, I'm really anxious to go back and check out his first movie and really looking forward to his um, next movie. Retro creepy. Retro let me, creepy. Let me get behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie was creepy. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a horror movie. Uh, retro, though, in the fact that the music they used was very like Halloween style mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. or Friday the 13th type music. What, if I had to say a criticism of the film, sometimes that was a little bit too over the top, mm-hmm. such that it kind of took me out of the film a little bit. Right. Like they were almost using it as making a joke. As opposed to, because the film's pretty serious. There's not a lot of like, you know, funny. I mean, there are some jokes here and there, but it's not. You know, it's it's got a dark tone, obviously, from the okay. subject matter. Right. And so that that kind of took me out of it a little bit sometimes mm. when they would kind of overdo some of the uh, the music. Interesting. But um, the, and so that's where the whole retro comes from, because it was kind of a throwback. Yet the time period of the film, it's interesting because. They didn't make it like it was totally set in the 1970s or the 1980s. So you could say it was just average kids nowadays. You know, it was, mm. it was kind of like a timeless film in a sense, That's which cool. was kind of an interesting horror movie to yeah. try to make. All right. So it follows. Chris is advocating and wholeheartedly yes. endorsing. Retro creepy is the word <laughs> Chris has come up with for that for that yes. film. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I'm going to see it. I, I, I think- <laughs> I think you would like it. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. So <sighs> just got to steal myself up for it. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to something that's not scary in the slightest. Although the game that this documentary is talking about, I owned and hated. I can almost say it was kind of frightening and scary how bad the game was. Hmm. Uh, this is the documentary Atari Game Over, which really deals with the classic Atari 2600 game, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. The worst video game ever. E.T. for Atari. It was bad. Brutal, unfair, didn't make a lot of sense. How did a company that was so innovative fail so miserably? Under that landfill is a burial site of an entire industry. Growing up, you always read little rumors about it. The dreams of a generation buried underneath the garbage. You can hear it screaming or something, I don't know. Billions of cartridges out in the desert. Alan, I also had an Atari 2600. Yes. And yes, I'm not sure if I got it for Christmas or not, but I did get the E.T. game as well. Probably so, because it came out at Christmas time, and that was all the rage that Christmas season. And my parents, and I was a big fan of E.T., so yeah, maybe Mm -hmm. I did get it at Christmas. Um, I remember being very frustrated by this game. Yes. I remember a year or two ago, I heard the urban legend that yes. there was a big dump somewhere that once Atari went under or something, they like threw away all these return cartridges. of each- All these excess cartridges of that game. Yes, that is the urban legend in a landfill out in uh, Arizona, I believe. I think so. Right. Um, so, and then 
Zach Penn, who's a director who I've seen one of his other films that was kind of a mockumentary about mm -hmm. Loch Ness and actually had uh, Werner Herzog yes. in it. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, so he's an interesting guy. Mm -hmm. He chooses to take this and make what I think is a serious, quote, documentary about this whole Atari and this mm -hmm. E.T. game. So should I watch this documentary, Alan, and enjoy it, or do you think I'm going to be frustrated with it just like I was frustrated with the game? I'll tell you, my one-word review for this is the word, and I kind of expanded on it for a reason, nostalgialistic. Okay. Because it's not, it is nostalgia. It's fun. Okay. I enjoyed the film a lot. It's not a great documentary, so don't go uh, in okay. expecting to know the whole history of Atari and the whole reason for its demise and the whole production of this game. It gave you the highlights. But it so gave this you is enough. like a McDonald's or a Burger King documentary. You know, yes. as far as like a Happy Meal documentary. Yes, this a, a, a MIG documentary. <laughs> a documentary. <laughs> That's right. That's our term. That's our, now our right third there. term, third type of documentary we're talking about. We got active, we got passive, That's we got MIG documentary. MIG documentary. This is a MIG documentary. It is something that came out, I think it was originally intended to be a, an episode of like a TV online series called Signal to Noise. Okay. So for that reason, it's only like a little over an hour long. So it's not terribly long. And maybe part of the reason why is you really a, didn't get too deep in thing? it. Yeah. Well, I would have I would have loved for this to come longer. What was great about this this film is that it really tried to tie the whole ET game and the myth and the legend about it all being buried and all. So you've got some real stuff happening where they are digging up this landfill, trying to see if so there's that, all that does end that's up in happening. there. Okay. Along the way, they're tying it to the story of Atari as a company and its demise. Okay. So showing the parallels and the links and the connections between them. Now, if you go up on any Wikipedia website or any other website dedicated to the history of Atari after watching this, you'll realize there's a whole lot left out. There's a whole lot of things not touched on. Because Atari still lasted for a while after the ET. Uh, right? not, not in the same form. And okay. they address that in the film. It's okay. like basically it goes through a major reduction in okay. staff and change in focus because it lost a lot of money off of two games. Supposedly it had the most like losses on in returns. Hmm. This one wasn't even like the biggest loser for it. Really? Pac-Man. The Atari version of Pac-Man was one of the biggest losers for them <laughs> because the quality was not great. It got a lot of returns. The hmm. arcade environment didn't translate to the console environment very well for it. E.T. Hmm. has got the reputation though, because it's an infuriating game and it had tons of returns and tons of unhappy people. The, so the documentary is interesting for you and I, having grown up in the generation we did. Right. You'll have fun watching it because okay. it's a lot of footage of games that we'll remember. It's interviewing some of the game designers. Hmm. I think the story of how they were charged with making a game for the E.T. movie to tie in is pretty interesting. And it does give a little bit of vindication to the designer as to why the game may not be the best in the world. Hmm. So it's a fun, interesting watch. Just don't go in expecting it to be a full history of Atari and all the in-depth uh, knowledge of what was going on. I would have loved an hour and a half, almost two-hour-long documentary on the subject because I think there's a lot to tell. Right. Um, because you know, if you think about it, Atari as a company, it supposedly went from like one year being the hottest thing in the world to like within a year or two, it didn't do anything anymore. Like you hardly heard anything about them. Right. It changed video games. It changed home entertainment so dramatically and then to just flame out so quickly. <laughs> it's really a fascinating story. I would have loved to go a little deeper with it. Okay. This is fine. This is fun. It's great for those of you that were alive during that time and very familiar with the game system and the games themselves. You'll have a lot of fun watching it. Beyond that, you may not. So, All right, Alan. Burning question. Yes. Has nothing to do with the documentary, but it kind of does. Were you ever able to complete the phone and call the mothership down to rescue ET? I did. So did I. Yes. So I feel some. Sort I do of remember doing that. Uh, I, d I remember it being anticlimactic. <laughs> to <laughs> but, say the least. Uh, I remember it being a. Uh, that's it. Okay. Um, so yes, I did play the game. I actually got it on Christmas and uh, was going to my grandparents for that that Christmas weekend. And took, got to take my Atari in the oh, game wow. with me okay. and played it there. And I remember the whole time just kind of sitting there thinking about, wow, this is really hard. Wow, this is annoying. Really, is this the whole game? <laughs> so, And it's, uh, it's funny. So, okay. uh, 
I will say watching some of the clips of this game being played in the documentary was also really fun. So, I, yeah, you know, and honestly, I'll watch it just because I want to remember playing that. I have oh, yeah. memories of it, but oh, I'll yeah. go back and see it again. Oh, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so, awesome. nostalgistic. Excellent. That is my that is my word for it. And that's game over. I believe is one. Well, if you go on a, if you go on uh, on Netflix, it's actually labeled as Atari colon Game Over. Okay. That's the name of the film on, okay. on Netflix. It is on Netflix, so Excellent. go watch it right now. It's it's fun to watch. Okay. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do just a couple quick news items and then finish up with our recommendations for the episode. Stay tuned. We'll be right back in just a moment. Hi, Alan and Chris here with an exciting announcement about something coming to the Western North Carolina area later this year. It's the first ever Foot Candle Film Festival. That's right, an honest-to-goodness film festival that's happening September 25th through the 27th at the Salt Block in Hickory, North Carolina. Films are being submitted from all over the world to be considered. Do you or someone you know have a film that you'd like to submit? Visit footcandle.org and follow the link to the festival for instructions. Stay tuned later in the year as we announce our choices and start selling tickets. Visit footcandle.org for more information. We'll see you in September. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV. You just heard us go through our discussions of Citizen Four, Atari, Game Over, and It Follows. A nice assortment of interesting films to check out. All discussion worthy, it sounds like as well. So let's move on to some quick news items before we cap off the show with our recommendations for the episode. Um, Chris, I've got one news item that I'm really torn on if, if I even want to talk about. Oh, it, it's going to uh, – do we have a rating system on the podcast? I mean, is there – like seriously, is there like a PG level? Oh. Because I don't know if I can talk about this news item without trouncing into a little more PG-13 area at least. Oh. Uh, we talked about it, Paul, so we're well, okay. okay. Here's the thing. You know, we talked about horror films and, and, and the kind of horror films I really have – I don't mind watching, but I really have no desire to watch are some of these torture porn. Yes. And I, I assuming, because I know you pretty well, that you're not a big fan either. I'm not. Now, that being said, yeah. I've never seen the first Saw. Okay. And because there's a huge franchise, I think, I don't know how many they've made, four or five or whatever. But because that launched a franchise, I actually am interested in going back and seeing just the first one. Mm-hmm. Granted, it'll probably be in the middle of the day you know, with yeah. the lights on and everything. But, but in general, no, that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't interest me no. so i'm assuming you have not because i have not either okay. i'm talking about films here that i've never seen okay. and have no desire to see okay. but i think it's interesting to bring up the fact that these movies are still being made okay the human centipede i yes i, I know and everybody made... in the studio is shaking their head feverishly <laughs> like no 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 yeah, I'm not even going to describe and what it is. They've already made two. They've made two. Well, they're making a third one. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, and no, I have to give him. The first one had a very disgusting premise. If you know what it is, great. If you don't, you probably don't want to know what it is. No, actually. you don't. I'm going to let anybody who's interested, they can go online and look right. it up. I'm not going to describe it. The second movie, though, if my memory caught, and I haven't seen either, but it's like documenting somebody that was like a fan of the first movie and then decides to yep. do what the person was. So that was an interesting take on trying to make a sequel, trying to make a follow-up. Yes, they did. Tom six, the writer director, uh, again, I don't know anything about the guy made the first one. The second one was a very much more of a meta commentary on the first one, right. but also extremely disgusting. Well, I mean, that's his thing. Wicked. Now this third one even goes more meta. Really? Yeah. Supposedly. So supposedly it's, it's, and I'm going to be very judicious with my plot summary. <laughs> okay. Uh, guys who are running a prison. The prison is having a hard time controlling its inmates. Oh, man. And one of the prison wardens decides, after watching the other movies. Both of them. Yeah. One in. Decides that he has a idea of how to better control the inmates. And I'm going to leave it there. Wow. So I will, I will give it just on the surface. The whole meta on top of meta on top of meta. Okay, that's that's cool. That's interesting. See, I will not see sh- this film. I have no desire to see it. I'm just putting it out there because we want to be the equal opportunity film review show well, and, what, and at least discuss and let you know this out there. What really bothers me, yeah. I wish you would have never told me that because <laughs> I haven't seen any of these movies. I don't want to see any of these movies, but yet I kind of do. <laughs> and mm. actually, I think I can completely skip the first one. But seeing the meta nature of the second one and possibly this third one, I, I, it does interest me because I'm all about like movies that have more than one layer and stuff. But I can't get away from the fact that because apparently there's still a lot of gore and disgusting Ooh. stuff, Ooh. Um, 
that that's really what he's interested in, not the meta commentary. But I, yeah. I have to admit that is interesting. All I'm going to say is 500 people. Wow. Okay. Leave it at that. <laughs> okay. So again, I'm already making myself even thinking about the film and I, we're going to move on. Okay. So, so let, cheer us up. Give us something a little nicer, a little better. I feel like Chris. I should talk about like uh, the new Pixar movie coming out, but I don't have any news on that. So, right. But I will say, um, kind of a throwback to our first review, biopic sound. Yes. There's going to be one of Edward Snowden. Yeah. Very so, true. Yep. Oliver Stone, correct? It is, and it's in production right now. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. In Germany, and Joseph mm -hmm. Gordon-Levitt's going to play Snowden. Melissa Leo is going to play... The filmmaker Laura Portrush, oh, who goes okay. over there and right. like, you know, tries to interview him. And, and your, your girl, Shailene Woodley, is uh, his girlfriend. wife, his girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lindsay Mills. So, okay. interesting. Um, how, having just seen a documentary about mm -hmm. the situation, mm -hmm. but it was a action documentary, as you talked about. Oliver Stone's going to do a documentary. <sighs> the man who gave us JFK. Well, he's not, gonna, he's not doing a documentary. He's oh, doing no, a, a, he's a doing narrative, a, dramatic right. film. But he's doing like he did for JFK. He's doing this. He did for Nixon. Well, you know, how, do you, how do you feel going Well, in? Chris, we've always talked about when we watch a biopic, we always ask the question, would we have rather seen this as a documentary? Was there any reason to see it acted out by actors? Or could we have seen documents and have people talk about it and got just as much out of it? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, especially the more musical documentaries, I could always argue I would have rather seen a good documentary about it because I think sure. I would have learned more. Sure. The Theory of Everything was another great example from just a couple months ago where I think you and I both said, eh, you know, a documentary probably would have given us more insight than what we got in this film. I will say, though, this one, I think lends itself to a good dramatic film because I think the documentary plays one role. The documentary shows the process, the technical aspects of how it happened, what happened, but because we're only watching whatever they're turning the camera on and we're not having people talking about their feelings and what they're feeling at the time and emotions, we never really got to explore what truly was going on in the back of Edward Snowden's head. We got a lot of ideas. Or what was even going in the back of the documentarian's head. Yeah. Like, what am I getting into? What exactly. is going on? What have I found with this So dude? I do think there's an interesting story there. Um, this is one of the few biopics that I would be interested to see, just already hearing about it. Okay. Um, where the other one that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in, Glad where he plays uh, the, the, the guy, the tight walker. Yeah, from uh, walk, uh, Man on Wire. Man on Wire. And they're doing one of called The Walk, which is a stupid name. And interestingly enough, I think, I know, it says right here, if I can trust IMDb, that uh, the Snowden document or biopic is coming out December He's 25th, 2015. So The Walk is also coming out. That's the same day. Isn't that supposed to be Christmas? I think it's supposed to be. Two Christmas films with Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing yes. a real person? Yes. With Robert Zemeckis directing one and Oliver Stone directing the other? Yes. That is weird. So it's going to be the battle? Somebody's going to move. The battle of the biopics. Somebody's going to move. They can't, they can't release both those on the same day. I would um, tend to think that The Walk's probably going to move. Yeah. Although, if you're going to see one mm. movie on Christmas Day, I don't know that you really want to see Snowden, which is probably going to be a downer. <laughs> the walk will to, probably walk be will much be... more inspiring and uplifting by right. the end. So, well, I am curious. I'm, I'm hit or miss with Oliver Stone. I really love Born on the Fourth of July. Hmm. I really like JFK. Which was a biopic, Born on the Fourth of July. They were both. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, both okay. biopics in a way. Oliver Stone's own take on a biopic. But yeah. Platoon, probably? Yeah, Platoon was fine. Okay. Platoon was fine. Uh, beyond past JFK, I really haven't seen much of his stuff. Natural Born Killers just gave, gave me headaches every time I tried to <laughs> see parts of it. Um, okay. So I'm very hit or miss with Oliver Stone. I'm not one of those guys that feels like I've got to run out and see a film of his. Gotcha. Um, but I'm intrigued, and I think if he's got the right subject matter, which I would say Edward Snowden is, yeah. um, I think there's an interesting film there to watch. So, cool. So that's a couple news items. One... Extremely disgusting. One, very intriguing. So uh, we'll let you decide which one you're going to f go online and read up more about <laughs> after this episode is done. But Chris, let's finish up our episode here with our recommendations where we both like to bring up a film that we think you ought to check out, either one from the past, one uh, maybe uh, you might have missed, maybe just a classic that needs to be revisited. But the idea is finding something that we can get our hands on online in some way, shape, or form. What have you got to share with us, Chris? Okay, I'm going to have a government paranoia double feature Ooh, nice. for my, for my uh, recommendation. 
One, both are, well, one is just based on a fiction book, and it's from the 1970s, 1975, Robert mm-hmm. Redford, Three Days of the Condor. Oh, wow. You, you, you caught up on that, huh? Yeah. I, I'd never seen it, and okay. I just watched it recently. Faye Dunaway, Robert Redford. Yeah. He works for the CIA, I believe, and something goes wrong, and he has to then find out why he's being, like, hunted down. So... Um, Three Days of the Condor has lots of good government paranoia in there. Mm-hmm. And then one that just came out um, this past year that I just recently caught up with, uh, Kill the Messenger, hmm. with uh, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner. I've heard about that and one. And that's all about um, drugs that were being sold and money was going to Nicaragua from the American government, may have had a part in it. And he was uh, he plays the part of a journalist who's uncovering all this Dirt, basically, mm-hmm. on the American government, what they might have been doing to help illegally fund things in mm-hmm. Nicaragua. So, wow. interesting, and also has a lot of people telling them, "Don't you don't need to dig into this story. Don't do this." Yeah. A lot of like ethics involved. So, very similar to man, this. you are in complete conspiracy That's right. undercover. A mode right now with your film right. your film watching. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So that's the double kill the messenger and three days of the condor. I also have a film okay. that's rooted in intrigue and mysterious people and mm. danger and Goonies. all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, and let me back up why I'm recommending this to sure. people to check out. Mission Impossible Three. Ah, here's the deal with that one. I love action spy movies. Okay. Tom Cruise is an actor I enjoy watching on screen. (laughs) He is a character I enjoy watching on screen. Sure. When the first Mission Impossible came out, which was uh, directed by shoot famous guy. Yeah, made um, De Palma. Yeah, Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was terribly excited. I went with my friends to go see it opening night and came away confused. It's like not quite sure what happened in the plot. There were some cool moments. Sure. But overall the film was like, eh, was that with lots of masks that were like full face. They were masks and the glasses that you could like transmit your image, what you're seeing to somebody right. else. And all. Right. It was just a very confusing movie, sure. but it has some cool moments. Sure. Second mission impossible came out. I was also terribly excited. I saw it in Las Vegas when I was there on vacation. Whoa. John Woo's directing. I loved face off. I thought face off was awesome. <laughs> and I wanted to see this Fun movie. title for a movie. And so. man, it was not good. It was just overblown, dumb, didn't work. Okay. So Mission Impossible 3 comes around. I'm curious only because a certain director, a fresh-faced director by the name of J.J. Abrams, is attached to direct it. I'm a big fan of Mr. Abrams from the TV work he was doing on Alias TV show, which I really did like. Gotcha. So I'm like, ooh. So now he's going to get to do a spy movie when I've been enjoying his spy TV show, mm-hmm. and he's going to take on Mission Impossible, and it's got Tom Cruise and all that. So I go see it, and it's really good. It's this also is, got Philip Seymour uh, Hoffman okay. as That's, the bad guy, which is another reason why it's really good. Right. This is also the movie where they introduce um, – uh, you got Ving Rhames still doing his sidekick role like he has been for a while. But Simon Pegg is introduced as kind of a part of the team. as kind of a more techie guy called okay. Benji. So they've kind of reset the whole franchise a little bit and said, all right, now these are the characters. Hmm. Let's go forward. And they've made another film since then, Ghost Protocol, which was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, I didn't like it as much. I fell asleep. It wasn't. It just wasn't as good. Okay. Uh, it got a lot of reviews and people love it, but I just didn't think it was as good as the third one. To me, that Mission Impossible three is like that's what a Mission Impossible movie ought to be. Okay. The reason I'm bringing it up is because there is a fifth one coming out now. It is called something this is rogue nation rogue nation that's it too because wasn't jeremy renner supposed to as of ghost protocol he was kind of going to replace he was going to replace it but you saw how well jeremy renner replacing a main franchise character worked for the born identity series he didn't and supposedly they're even getting matt damon to come back and do the born series again now Mm, tom cruise i don't think wanted to let go of mission impossible (laughs) yet so we've got mission impossible rogue nation the trailer just came out a couple weeks ago it's good. Of course, every Mission Impossible trailer, I think, is good because it's, it's fun up. and exciting. Yes. And you got Tom Cruise hanging on the side of a, sh- a plane as it takes off off the ground. Okay. It's did, Christ- it, did it show him running? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Every Excellent. Tom Cruise movie has to have him running. Excellent. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie is the director, and you may not recognize that name. He recently did the film with Tom Cruise, uh, Jack Reacher. And he also is a writer of a lot of other good action movies. I've never seen Jack Reacher, but uh, the people like Christopher McQuarrie so far far as far as a director goes. (laughs) Okay. So 
I am saying if you got a fix and you saw the latest trailer and you're kind of back into a Mission Impossible vibe, just go see number three. You don't need to see any of the other ones. Go see number three. Have a good time with it. I think it's a great, fun action movie. And I think it's one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies. Definitely my favorite Mission Impossible movie. Uh, and one of the better action spy movies in the last 10 years. Okay. There you go. Boom. I just dropped the mic. <laughs> I didn't actually drop the mic. These mics are kind of expensive. Yeah, that's not too bad. So, Chris, we just kind of recapped with our recommendations. You had your uh, conspiracy doubleheader films with Three Days of the Condor and... Kill the Messenger. Kill the Messenger. That's right. I'm talking about Mission Impossible 3. We talked about Citizen 4. We talked about Atari. We talked about sex-driven horror movie, indie it movie. It follows. <laughs> so we had a lot of movies to cover in this episode. On. A lot of stuff going on. If people wanted to check in with us, talk to us, follow up with us, give us their ideas on any of our reviews, Chris, how, what are some of the ways they could do so? Probably the easiest that you can do is just jot us an email at info at the mesh.tv. Just let us know what you're thinking about our reviews, a movie you have heard that's coming out that you want us to review. Um, you can also go to the website, and it is cleverly at themesh.tv, where you'll find lots of other shows and podcasts, but in addition to ours, where you can catch up with back episodes yeah, if you so true. choose. And then there's always a letterbox. Alan and I both review movies from time to time on there and put up what we've been watching lately. So. Yeah, so a lot of different ways to reach out to us. main thing is we, just, we want to hear from you. And, uh, of course, you know, remember to subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you get all the episodes downloaded to you automatically when they come out. And uh, just kind of give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you and love to try to address anything uh, that we can and as we continue to make the show fun for everybody to listen to. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, I am Chris. I'm not Chris. Yeah. What am I saying? You're using my name because you don't want to take, you're letting the government think that I've been doing yeah. everything. And okay, you got voices. me. My name is Chris Fry. I can be reached <laughs> at the following address if you have any questions. So, I'm Alan. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you later. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.